Good morning, everyone. It's still morning, right? It's not afternoon. No, it's not afternoon yet. All right, cool. It is truly an honor and a privilege to be speaking with you once again, to be preaching the word. Um, I was going to wear a costume, just so you understand. I know it's Halloween. I had a costume. For those of you who are Office fans, I was going to be Recyclops and just come up here and preach with Recyclops on. But then for my Pentecostal folks, we probably would have left the room at that point in time. Like, how dare you come up with a costume? So didn't do it. But um, happy Halloween to everybody out there. Don't eat too much candy later on. Um, can I invite you really quickly to join me? We're going to be jumping on the DeLorean. Everybody knows what the DeLorean is, right? All right, good. We're jumping into the DeLorean. We're going to set the clock back to 2007. We're going to the summer of 2007. And summer of 2007, just to give you some perspective, was the first iPhone was released. The first iPhone. The blockbuster movies at the movie theater that summer were Spider-Man 3, that's with Tobey Maguire, Shrek the Third, and the first Transformers movie. That wasn't a good summer for the movies. Um, but I want to take you back in time, and I want to introduce you to this young, beautiful couple. There was this guy named John, so handsome, so young, and there was this beautiful girl named Jessica. And they had been married for three and a half years at this time. And they were going through some really tough times, not in their marriage, but in their walks with God. Um, I don't know if you've been saved long enough, but there's something that we call the desert time. When you've been walking with God for a long time, it gets really dry, gets really dark sometimes that you don't know where you're going and you kind of just got to muscle it through. And we were going through this both individually and we got invited by a friend to go to a fellowship at their house. Now, they happened to have a big house, and it was going to be a lot of food, a lot of friends, and there was going to be this pastor named Pastor Jay, and he was going to be preaching um, the word, and then we were going to do some worship. And then this pastor, he has the gift of prophecy or the gift of words of knowledge. So we all went to this man's house. He happened to be also a seminary teacher at the same time. So we went to uh, our friend's house, and we were sitting down, and we got to the word portion, and he shared an incredible word about walking up the steps to the throne of God and all these things, and it was really powerful. And then we did this awesome time of worship, and then we get into this part where he's going to be doing the prophecy. Now, if I could set the setting for you, the, the living room was pretty big. It's like kind of a square shape, and I happened to be sitting behind a tall, high back chair, a single chair. So I was sitting on the floor with my legs poking out. So all you can see is like my little legs there dangling out. And then on the left-hand side of me was these stairs that went up. And Jess and her cousin were sitting on these stairs. And this man goes around the room and starts prophesying to people. When I talk about prophesying, I've never witnessed it this, in this manner. But he was telling people things that I knew was true that he did not know about them because he never met them in their lives. And um, he's going around the room and he went through about 10 or 15 people and at that same time, you know, God is doing all this stuff. I'm praying to myself, please don't let him stop on us. I'm so embarrassed. I don't want people to know that we're going through this thing. Um, you know, kind of hiding in my own shell. And then he stops and he looks at Jess and he prophesies. He starts prophesying to Jess. And he, I, he was introduced to us before, but never together. So he didn't know we were married. 
He starts talking to her on the steps, and then he turns and he says, your husband. And he points me out behind the chair. And he starts sharing about the time that we're in. And he starts talking about this, and I just start crying behind the chair. I'm weeping. And then, but then he, he goes on and he says that there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't last forever, but to keep pressing forward. But then he goes on and he starts to share this prophecy that God is showing him, this prophetic vision for the future. And he says he sees us in a dimly lit kitchen or dining room. And there's a boy who's older and a girl who's younger sitting with us. And these are our children. Now, we're only married three and a half years. This is 2007. Micah wasn't born until 2011. That's my son. So there's a four-year gap between the two. And this story is about that gap, about waiting on God. Have you ever found yourself waiting on God? Have you ever felt like the waiting was endless? Can you read the text with me? Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Can we pray real quick? God, I thank you for the opportunity today to be preaching your word, God. And I pray that you would be in this moment that you would make up for anywhere that I fail, Lord God, but God, that you would open our ears of our heart and our eyes, God, and God, that we would see you and hear you in a new way, that you would speak to the inner man, Lord God, that you would allow faith to rise up in us like never before, that when we walk out of here, Lord God, we would be more in love and more in tune with you. I thank you for today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Can we recap the last three weeks of uh, Habakkuk? First week, we had Justin preaching, and it, the first week was on uh, his original complaint. And just so anybody who wasn't here, his original complaint was against his own people, how they were being unjust, unright towards their own people, and he wanted God to come and bring judgment on them. Second week was Melvin, and it was the answer to that original complaint. And God answers him and says, I see what's going on. I have a plan. I'm dealing with them. I'm going to send the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to take care of them, to punish them. Last week was Tiffany. Great message again, Tiff. And God, uh, Habakkuk turns to God and says, no, that's not the answer I wanted. I didn't want you to send people more evil than my own people to deal with us. Um, I love how he, he tells God what he wants. And he ends off that, that complaint and it ends off in the beginning of chapter 2. And he says that he's going to sit and wait there for God to answer him. Now, when I read that, I don't know why, but I pictured my son when he was younger and he didn't like what I said, he would do this. And he'd wait there. And the immaturity of Habakkuk to be like, I'm going to wait here until you answer me. The audacity to talk to God in this way. And I couldn't help but 
every week, if I'm not mistaken, they pointed out the character of God or what Habakkuk um, kept pointing to as the character of God, how God was, um, he was the one that wasn't blind. He saw evil. He was the purest, all these kind of things. And I feel like Habakkuk either missed out, forgot, or it just didn't apply to his argument. So he didn't want to include it. But in Exodus 34, verses six and seven, this is the first time that God tells you about his character. He doesn't allow someone else to tell you. He allows himself to tell you. And it says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we see God describe himself first and foremost as being merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So we don't see any of the things that Habakkuk is looking for in God's response. What we see is God, God letting us know up front, before this ever happened, this is who I am. I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I abound in love. And then God goes on here in Habakkuk and he starts to answer Habakkuk's complaint. And he starts off and he tells him to write down the vision on tablets. He didn't say write it down on paper. He said write it down on tablets. So it has a lasting, it's going to take a long time to happen. There's a lasting of this vision that he gives him. And I know that week one, Justin said that we're supposed to write down our complaints or journal our complaints to God. Can I add on to that? Journal God's answer. Journal God's promise to you. So if you have a complaint and he comes back with an answer, write it down. But make sure you write down exactly what he says and not what you want to hear. Because we, we tend to do that. If we're being real with ourselves, we tend to write down or we tend to hear God answer us and we hear him the way we want him to work for us. That's not the way God works. God lets us know what, exactly what he's going to do in his perfect time, in his perfect way. So if you can, write it down, journal what he shares, what he shares with you. Whether that be if you have the opportunity to jot it down, but everybody here has a cell phone, Right? Voice memo, this is what God said to me. And if you say it in your own voice, well, later on when you hear it, it's like, whoa, I said it. Nobody else said it. So God has a plan. He has a vision. He has a promise. But he also lets us know in the scripture that he executes the promise at his own time, at his own disposition, right? He says in verse three, for the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. As he says, the vision has an appointed time. And a lot of times that appointed time is not our time. It's not our plan. It's not the way we want it to happen or the timing that we want it to happen. We're a society with a microwave generation, the microwave society. If we want something, we can just take out our phones. If there's an app for it, we can buy it and walk over to the store right now and go pick it up. It's really not that hard. But with God, 
Sometimes things take years and years and years to develop. For example, his first response to Habakkuk, he says that he's going to deal with Judah immediately by sending the Chaldeans. There's a, there's a hasten. There's a quickness to it. There's, it's going to happen. But this judgment that he talks about for the people of Babylon, the Chaldeans, it's not going to happen so much, much later. So there's a timing, there's an ebb and flow with God. Now, if I could invite you back into the DeLorean for a minute, we're going to fast forward to 2009. 2009, the beginning of the year, I go to Jess and I'm like, hey, babe, I'm ready to be a dad. For all the husbands in the room or potential husbands, word of knowledge right here, never say that to your wife. You're putting undue pressure on your wife for no reason. Like, she's supposed to make that happen without you. So um, just letting you know, don't say that to your wife. But Jess was really gracious with me. She was really kind. She, she began, we began to plan out, like, when we're going to have a baby. Um, so we, I, and I don't know if there is anybody in the room who's done this before, but you start planning it out. So you're like, if I get pregnant in March... That means we won't have the baby till September. That means I'll carry through the summer. Oh, God, I don't want to carry through the summer. It's so hot. No, I'll get pregnant in the summer, and then I'll carry through the winter, and then we'll have the baby in the spring. You know, do all of those kind of things. The funny thing is that there's no way for you to know when you're going to get pregnant or not. So just enjoy it. Have fun. And when you get pregnant, you get pregnant. But we start making these plans, and at the same time, Jess starts getting these weird symptoms. First, she would be singing and she would sing on Sunday and then she would lose her voice and she wouldn't get a voice back until like Saturday, Saturday night. And then she'd sing on Sunday and it'd be gone a whole week again and she wouldn't get it back till Sunday. And then we started to do Friday services and Saturday services and Sunday services. So sometimes she couldn't sing on the weekend. She'd sing one day or maybe two days. She had nothing left for Sunday. So she had to back out of a Sunday service or something like that. And then she started to get these, she would get really hot, sweaty, and then she'd get really cold. And it was just these polar opposites were happening. There were so many more symptoms that were happening at that time. And um, thanks be to God that she actually got a sinus infection and ended up having to go to the doctor. And when she went to the doctor, they reported back to her that her T-cell count was really, really high. And but they said, you have an infection, so maybe it's the infection. Let's get that cleared away. So they got it cleared away. She went back in, and again, her T-cells sound really high. So they sent her to an endocrinologist. After some more tests, it was discovered that she has something called Graves' disease. And Graves' disease is a thyroid disease. And the doctor recommended, because of the symptoms that she was having, that she go ahead and she essentially kill her thyroid with radiation treatment. And we decided because of this, because of the recommendation by this uh, specialist who really cared about Jess, that we would go ahead and do this. So Jess does this procedure. And after the procedure is done, she goes back a few days after and they confirm that the thyroid is now uh, dead and that she'll have to take a th synthetic hormone for the rest of her life. So she starts to ask the, the doctor, okay, well, we were planning on having a baby. When can we do this now? Like, how, how, how long do we have to wait? And the doctor responded to her and said, it's going to be extremely difficult. She didn't want to use the words impossible or highly unlikely, but extremely difficult. 
Um, she said, it's not a good chance that you'll be able to get pregnant, but it's extremely difficult, but you can try. And she gave us a recommended, hey, wait for the radiation to get out of the system. Then you can start trying. So we listened to her and, you know, we started trying and we tried for eight and a half months and our plans were derailed. The timetable that we saw for our lives was derailed. You can grow impatient waiting for God to bring forth that vision that he gave you or that answer that he gave you. Honestly, we can be like Habakkuk. We can complain to God that he's slow in fulfilling his promise, that he's slow in bringing about judgment, that he's slow in doing what he said he would do. Maybe some of you in here have been waiting for years for a loved one to be saved. You've been praying and you've been waiting for years. Maybe there's people in this room that you have chronic pain in your body or some sickness in your body and you've been waiting years for healing. Maybe it's the restoration of a relationship, a father and a son, mother and daughter, and you've been waiting years for that thing to be restored. Maybe it's the improvement of a life circumstance. Maybe you've been living in poverty for so long. You're oppressed because you've been living in poverty. You've been depressed because of some situation that happened in your life, and you're asking God, why is it taking this long? Maybe I could bring it into context that something that's happening right now. We've been waiting two years for the effects of COVID to end. As people in this room, you're wearing masks right now while I'm preaching. We have the sickness. We have the fear. We have the death. We have the restrictions and separation from loved ones, the job loss, the economy, all these things that are happening. And we're like, God, how long? How long are you going to take to fix this? How long are you going to come and rescue your people? We can get lost in the complaining. We can lose sight of what the, the thing that he promised is. And then we consider God to be blind. We consider God to be, to be deaf. We consider God to not know what he's supposed to be doing. But in verse 4 and 5, he lets Habakkuk know, not only does he see all, but he has an answer for it. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. His death has never, I'm sorry, like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all people. God's response to Habakkuk was, I'm not blind. I see their sin. I know what they're doing. They go around and they take over places. They kill people. They get drunk. They party. They plunder. They take on slaves. I see it all. I'm not blind to it all. And I'll deal with them at my appointed time. But what I'm calling for you, the righteous to do, live by faith. And we can't look past what this, the sin of Babylon, right? They're prideful. They're arrogant. Pride gives us a false assurance in ourselves and does not require faith in God. And pride can show up in anyone. It could show up in the rich person that's proud of their wealth and the poor person that's proud of the way that they live, the honor that they have less. 
It can show up in the religious man who's proud of his religion. It can show up in the intelligent man who's proud of his intelligence. The gifted man who's proud of his gifts. The hardworking man who's proud of his hard work. And none of these things are wrong alone. But when you put your faith, your assurance in those things, they lead you down the wrong path. They bring you to a place where it's not good. It's not cool. After eight months of us trying and failing, the disappointment that we were feeling every time you got that pregnancy test back and it came up negative, the disappointment turned to anger and bitterness. And the anger and bitterness wasn't towards Jess and Jess wasn't towards me. It was towards God because we felt like he forgot about us. We felt like he didn't see us, that he promised us something, but it wasn't happening. And as foolish as we were, <laughs> we began to list out our resume to God. Jess on her own and me on my own. We didn't do this together in a room. She was doing it on her own in her own head. I was doing it in mine in my own head. And Jess was like, but God, I, I sing for you. I lead worship for you. I do all these things for you. Why would you do this to me? Why would you let this happen to me? She felt the disappointment of letting me down that I wouldn't be a dad. And then me, I'm going through, well, God, I, I serve in this ministry and I do all these things for you. I give up my entire weekend. I'm here all weekend for you, God. Why would you do this? Why would you treat me like this? See, but when our pride and our arrogance showed themselves, the God of Exodus 34 showed up. And in his infinite love and mercy, he didn't come down hard on us. He didn't rebuke us. He didn't send a plague our way or anything like that. <laughs> Instead, he patiently called us to repentance. He lovingly reminded us of our need for him. Like I said in verse 4, the part that stuck out to me and that's repeated so many times in the New Testament is the righteous shall live by faith. As Christians, we can choose to live outside of our faith. We can live by our works like I was, by our feelings, by our circumstances, by our relationships. But all these things, all they do is give us false hope, false assurance, and eventually they lead us to self-salvation. We can make it happen ourselves. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't make just pregnant. I couldn't give, I couldn't do what only God can do in that situation. But when we began to trust God, when we finally threw up our hands and surrender and said, we don't know what to do anymore. We tried everything. And we began to trust God. God began to show up in our lives. God began to bring us fresh faith, fresh strength for that time of need, for this season of our lives. See, for Habakkuk, living by faith meant he had to look back at God's faithfulness to his people. He had to look back to the Exodus. He had to look back to the parting of the Red Sea. He had to look back to the promised land to see who God was and that God was a fulfiller of every promise that he made. And for us today, faith means looking outward to Jesus, to the promise that he has for us. See, pride looks to self, but faith looks to God. 
Habakkuk was called to trust in the covenant faithfulness of God. And how much more us who've received the completed work of God in Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to live by faith. You let go of pride and you admit your lack of strength, of faith, and of control out of the, uh, for the outcome. Trusting God, trusting what God has promised he will do at his appointed time. You bring your concerns to God and you let him be the source of your answer and fresh faith. And you continue to walk faithfully in relationship with Christ, in community, in prayer, in discipleship with his body. When Jess and I began to take our eyes off the situation, off of what we saw happening around us, and we began to focus our hearts on God, we heard him calling us to trust him and to wait on him. And that's something that's been repeated since worship. God is calling us to wait on him. And I can tell you how we waited. And I can encourage you to wait in similar ways, but there's no formula for waiting. I wish there was. I wish I could give you these are the 10 steps to waiting. They're not. But the first thing we did was we turned over our plates and we dedicated our time to fasting and to prayer. We began to trust God that he was the fulfiller of the promise. And let me tell you, during the waiting, it didn't change what was happening around us. It didn't remove the doubts that we felt, but it changed how we dealt with those things. We gave them to God and we continued to walk in faith. And one verse that we held on to and that I hold on to each and every day is Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. It's often quoted, but it's quoted in such a small section. So let me read the whole quote for you. It says, have you not known and have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creators of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When you choose to wait on God, you will find endless supplies of fresh strength and faith in him alone. He will daily renew you through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And many times like Habakkuk, when you put your faith in God, you're going to see the wrong blessed you're going to see people that should be punished, not punished. You're going to be confused by God's response or God's lack of a response. You will have doubts. It will look at times like God does not care. But today, I want to let you know, God sees it all. He sees those things that seem unfair or unjust. Most importantly, God sees you. He sees your heart. He sees your pain, your disappointment, your hopelessness, your confusion. And he doesn't want you walking around like this. He wants today and every day to give you fresh faith. He wants you to wait on him. 
As I get ready to close, band, you can come up. Jess, if you're watching in the other room, you could do what I asked you to do earlier. <clears throat> we, see, we see God's response to Habakkuk. His complaint that he believed God was being unfair and God did not care about the sin of the Babylonians. You will see that God clearly saw their sin and he had a plan in place. But what he called Habakkuk to do was to trust and to wait on him. Today, you might be in the same place as Habakkuk. Confused, frustrated, upset at God. Maybe like I mentioned earlier, you've been waiting endlessly for a promise or for some kind of answer or a complaint to be answered. But can I be honest with you? In the midst of our journey, Jess and I felt the same way. When Jess couldn't sing anymore for a while, when we had friends sharing pregnancy news, when it seemed like we were forgotten about, we had those same complaints and those same feelings. See, in this story, we were waiting on two things. The first was that promised child from that prophecy. But the second was healing for Jess. When we stopped complaining and started listening and living by faith, we heard clearly a call from God to bring those disappointments, confusion, hurt, hopelessness to him. You know, we received an answer to both of those prayers. The first one was our son, Micah Stephen. He actually was the answer to both prayers. Micah's 10 years old now. And if he was up here, he's about this big. And it was in the midst of, a fa of the fast that we were on, one snowy January morning in 2011, Jess came to me with a, with a positive pregnancy test. I was in awe. I didn't say anything. She's right here. She'll let you know. I wasn't jumping on the couch and screaming or anything like that. I sat in silence in awe what God had done. But we gave him a name. His name is Micah. And I don't know if any of you know what his name means. But in Hebrew, his name means who is like Jehovah. Who is like God. He's the constant reminder that God is faithful. In spite of all that we saw and all that we felt, he's the constant reminder that God is a fulfiller of every promise that he gives. He's the constant reminder that there's no other source that we go to but him. Today, Jess is still sick. God hasn't healed her yet. But it's okay because if he never heals her, What we learned in that season is that what Jesus promised us is that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Like Isaiah 40, we've learned to wait on God and to find strength in him. What you've been waiting for, the promise that you've been waiting for, it's not going to come by you praying harder. It's not going to come by you doing anything else. It's not going to come by you just serving in ministry. It's not going to come by all these other things that you try to do. It's just wait on him just go to Jesus let him know your concerns let him know how much you hurt let him know how much you feel disappointed but just wait on him
In Jesus, we have seen the length of God's love and faithfulness to us. Jesus received all that we deserved on the cross, securing for us a place where we can find refuge and help, love and comfort, strength during our times of need. Do you feel like your friends, your family, or even God has forsaken you today? Do you feel like you've been waiting endlessly for God? Jesus knows that experience all too well, but he's waiting here for you. In the pain, in the disappointment, in the feeling of being lost and helpless, the question is, will you go to him? Will you wait on him? Can you do me a favor? Can you stand? There's nothing special about what I'm going to ask you to do. But when you receive a gift, you have to put your arms out so that you can receive it. So if you could stand where you are, put your arms out and your palms towards heaven. And I'm going to pray real quick. But while they're doing worship, we're going to have leaders lined up on the side. Justin will be there. I'll be there. Whoever else can, can come as a leader will be there. If there's a situation that you're waiting on God for, if there's something that you're waiting on God for, you can come over to the side and we'll pray with you. We'll agree with you. We'll ask for strength, all those things that are needed while you wait. God, I thank you for today. Jesus, I thank you that we're not alone. But God, that you secured everything for us, that you secured everything for us in Jesus, and we have a place to go to, we have a person to go to, to receive fresh strength, to receive fresh faith for our time of waiting in you. God, no matter what the situation is, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. You see it all, you know it all, and you are the answer to it all. So I pray today as our arms are outstretched towards you and our palms are lifted up to heaven, that we will receive from you fresh strength, fresh faith for our time of need. We look to you today, Jesus. We invite you into our waiting, God, so we don't do it alone. In your precious name we pray, amen.